This podcast is an exploration of the life of Nicholas of Myra, better known these days as Saint Nick or Old Saint Nick. You know, Christmas lore is almost all fictional. There are dozens of customs, and they vary from country to country, and there's a good a deal of legend about Old Saint Nick. But he actually was a true person, one who lived, born in the late 3rd century, a 4th century Christian leader. So I've given this title to the podcast, St. Nick, Historical Core to Christmas Lore, because there is an historical core. We should not confuse him with the Nicholas in the Bible in Acts 6, the deacon Nicholas, or the possible uh, Nicholas who gave rise to the heretical Nicolaitans in Revelation 2. Um, Those were people just trading on his name. So, the life of Nicholas. He's born around 270, 280, and Patra. If you look at the map below, you'll see it in the region of Lycia, near the bottom left. Patra was opposite the island of Rhodes. Just look left, you'll see it. You're looking at a map of ancient Anatolia, or Asia Minor, which morphed, eventually, into modern Turkey. And this land is where much of the New Testament story takes place. From the missionary journeys of Paul, to the letters, to the seven churches, the Revelation. And if you're interested in history and archaeology, you'll be spoiled rotten if you visit Turkey. Most years I lead uh, a group of interested persons to sites of biblical significance, where there's archaeological digging going on, where the history, the past is being turned up. And on several occasions, I've been able to go to Turkey, but only the western parts. There are cities related to the church all over. You will be spoiled. Okay. Nicholas's parents were wealthy, so he grew up in privilege. He was an only child, but he lost his parents quite early. They died during some epidemic. And he would have been totally on his own if his uh, uncle, who lived in Patra, uh, hadn't taken him under his wing. So until the time he was ready to be independent of his uncle, he lived in Patra. He grew uh, spiritually. He matured, gave generously to the poor. He was not a rich person who said, what's mine is mine, I'll keep it. And he rose in leadership to become the principal leader in the town of Mira or Myra. Mira was a little bit east of uh, Patra. Uh, you'll see it in the second map. And that's where he spent most of his life and, and where he died in 343. Initially, he was buried either there or on an island near Rhodes. But between the time that he be, uh, took the leadership of Mira and his death in 343, there were decades of adventure and hardship and spiritual growth before this great man of God passed on. And I said great. Although he was small in stature, he was large in faith and impact. I say small in stature because there was a study of his remains undertaken in 2005. It was revealed that he was barely five feet tall. So he was not an impressive person in that respect, and he had a broken nose, but had a tremendous impact. He was later imprisoned under the persecution of Diocletian. 
one of the last Roman emperors to persecute Christians. And once he was released, Nicholas spent several years in the Holy Land. In fact, there's a letter, uh, the Greek Patriarchate of Jerusalem has it. They claim that it's written in his own hand. Of course it's possible. There are things that have, uh, their manuscripts, even biblical manuscripts, that have survived from the 4th century. He made his dwelling place in a cave in the company of several other holy men, in a cave overlooking Bethlehem. So he had a couple years in the Holy Land, but eventually he, he will come back to Mira. Soon he attended the Council of Nicaea, 325. Nicaea is southwest of Constantinople, or Byzantium, where the Roman Empire had its capital when it was moved from Rome to Byzantium in the 300s. It's also the city where the first of the so-called seven ecumenical councils took place. You can see that on the third map. Now, Nicholas, of course, uh, he, he sided with the victors. He sided with the Orthodox against Arius. Arius was a leader who said that Jesus was not eternally God, but became divine at some point. The Emperor Constantine wanted the council to take place because Christians were dividing over this issue, and he feared that this would destabilize his land, his realm. Uh, Constantine who would be baptized 12 years later himself, sided with the Orthodox. Uh, maybe I'll do a lesson on Constantine at some point, but since he was a fellow who had no qualms about murder, and including murdering his own family members, um, I think there's not much evidence that he was a true Christian, though he supported the Christians. Well, what we know about Nicholas for sure, I've just told you. What about everything else? What about his long white beard? What about uh, uh, the, the sled and the, and the reindeer and all that stuff? Well, let's talk about the legend to some extent, because even, even in the legend, there's a, a kernel of uh, authentic truth. Nicholas was always revered for his help to lots of people. I think he just liked people, uh, children, the poor, those in difficult circumstances, but especially for his care for children and sailors. So not surprisingly, during the superstitious Middle Ages, the historical Nicholas was embellished. And I'm going to mention a couple of folk tales, but you can find these in books or, or online uh, yourself. Maybe the most popular has to do with um, some children, children who were too poor. There are three girls. They're too poor to get married. There was no money for a dowry. And somehow, mysteriously, on successive nights, money was thrown either through an open window or thrown down a chimney, you know, a little bag of gold. And eventually they found out that it was Nick. Nicholas was doing that. In some parts of the world, uh, children leave carrots and hay for St. Nick. St. Nick would be on a horse not a reindeer, but he would visit. And so that custom of leaving something for Santa uh, is, is pretty old. Uh, there are other stories where he helps in a storm. He's able to bring peace. Think of Jesus calming the storm. And so he becomes the patron saint of mariners. He's even the patron saint of thieves, though I think that means repentant thieves. Although in the Middle Ages, people did believe that taking communion would give you a better chance of pulling off a crime, so I'm not totally sure about that. 
I want to share one of these stories, and I'm just taking it from that bastion, that reservoir of all things true, Wikipedia. One legend tells how during a terrible famine, a malicious butcher lured three little children into his house where he killed them, placing their remains in a barrel so that they could cure, planning to sell them off as ham. And St. Nicholas was visiting the region to care for the hungry, and he saw through the butcher's horrific climb, crime. But he did more. He actually resurrected the three boys from the barrel just by prayer. Now, that's quite a story. Um, there's even a 16th century song based on this legend. I mean, the legend is late and the song is even later, but I think it, maybe you would enjoy hearing it. Three little children sought the plain, gleaners of the golden grain. They lingered past the angel song and dewy shadows swept along. Mid the silence of the wood, the butcher's lonely cottage stood. Butcher, lodge us for the night, lodge us till the morning light. Enter in, ye children small, I can find a place for all. The butcher seized a knife straightway and did the little creatures slay. He put them in a tub of brine in pieces small as they were swine. St. Nicholas, at seven years' end, his way did to the forest wind. He sought the butcher's cottage drear. Butcher, I would rest me here. Enter, enter, St. Nicholas. You are welcome, St. Nicholas. Enter, enter, St. Nicholas. There's place for you, the night to pass. Scarce had the saint his entrance made. He would the supper board was laid. Will you have a ham, a slice? I will not, for it is not nice. Of this veal you'll take a bit? No, I do not relish it. Give me a little. Give me of the little swine, for seven long years have laid in brine. The butcher caught the words he said, and forthwith from the portal fled. So right there, uh, Nicholas refers to the fact that these poor kids had been uh, in the brine for seven years, and the butcher takes off. Butcher, butcher, do not flee. Repent, and God will pardon thee. St. Nicholas the tub drew near, and lo, he placed three fingers there. The first one said, I sweetly rest. The second two, I too am blessed. The third replied, Tis well with me. In paradise I seem to be. And so he, he raises those three boys to life. Well, what do you do with stories like that? I mean, is it possible that that a holy man effected a, a return to life of, of, of people who had been dead for years? Of course it's possible, but it doesn't seem so likely to me. Still, it's a cute story. But what's the legacy of Nicholas? Well, as a person, he is remembered as one kind to the children and kind to the poor. And I think that's true everywhere where people have heard of him. He's a kind person. And I wonder, shouldn't every Christian be known for those qualities? Construction, a second area of legacy, because his influence is suggested by the fact that thousands of church buildings have been named after him. Thousands. Popularity. He's known all over the Christian world, especially in Greece and Russia more than anywhere else. St. Nicholas's Day is celebrated on the 6th of December. Bones. 
In the 11th century, as the, the Muslims were kind of overrunning the territory where his bones had been placed, the Italians saw an opportunity to take them to their country. His relics were moved to Bari, the city of Bari. And later, some dust or some fragments were scooped up by the Venetians, and so they had some of it too. In fact, in, in 1993, there was a scientific study of his original burial, burial place, and that supports the claim that both sets of his bones, Bari and Venice, both came from the same body. This is an interesting thing. You have relics of these holy men and women, and people like the relics so much, they often end up in multiple cities. And that's not legend. That's true. And then uh, one aspect, one final aspect of his legacy is has to do with how he became Old St. Nick. In Dutch, he was Center Klaus. Center Klaus, St. Klaus, like Niklaus. The word, the original name, uh, suffered a corruption. And then Center Klaus appears in the English-speaking world as Santa Claus, whom I got to know, and at least the earliest Christmases I remember back in the early 60s. Now, the Dutch began the custom of gift-giving at Christmas. That custom spread to the New World when the Dutch came to New Amsterdam, which was New York. And there was even more development because you add in the stories surrounding the North Pole and the Elves and the Teutonic customs and the Evergreens and Oh, on and on. And there's another podcast I did um, quite a while ago on Santa Claus. And you might want to click and listen to that too. But it doesn't have any of this information. So finally, we've looked at St. Nick from historical core to Christmas lore. We can believe some, but not all, of what we read about him. Actually, we can't really believe that much at all. Only the core. It's so different in the case of Jesus Christ. And I personally, as a Christian... I'm very happy that the important facts of Christ's life, his words, his signs and wonders, his death, his resurrection, were all recorded quickly, within decades. In fact, uh, in some, uh, some respect, the information about Jesus was committed to memory or writing just years after uh, these great events. Things happen over centuries. When generation after generation elapses, when century after century clocks by, things change, and we can't trust. Of course, we're looking for the earliest sources. It's very different when you compare Christ. We can believe what the Bible says about him. Nicholas, we have all these legends, and even the Catholic and Orthodox churches, where he's most uh, respected, are very hesitant to put too much stock in the stories, although they do put a lot of stock in his character. And isn't that what we want to be known by? We want to be known by our character, not what we had or even what we did, but the kind of people we were. Well, now we know who Nicholas of Mira was. I'd actually like to record more podcasts, many more podcasts on the lives of famous Christians, especially in the early centuries. And this podcast is only the first in what I hope will be a very long series. Thanks for listening.